everyone, and welcome back to another episode of We're Watching Star Trek, the original series. As always, I'm Brandon, and here with Paul. Yo, yo, what's up, people? Uh, we're here again, uh, talking about the Star Trek. Uh, great episode. I'm excited. Uh, you know, let's get it. Let's go. And Dan's here. Yeah, let's uh, jump right in. And uh, before we get started today, as always, uh, Twitter slash X at WWST underscore podcast. Merch link in the episode description. Uh, it's kind of weird because we're recording on a Monday today instead of a Sunday because of uh, Labor Day. We had extra time off, so we decided to push things back a little bit. But release time is going to be the same. Not that it matters right this second because they'll hear this in two days when it comes out. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> this coming uh, sat Friday, September 8th, is Star Trek Day. I don't yes. know if you guys knew that. I know that because uh, I when I was watching the episode, it, uh, a commercial appeared. And they're having a Star Trek uh, get-together with uh, Jerry O'Connell hosting. On Paramount Plus. Yeah. I looked into why it's Star Trek Day, and apparently that's because on September 8th in 1966 is when the Man Trap uh, debuted. Ah, okay. So then mm. make a Star Trek Day. I get it now. Uh, but we are not watching the Man Trap. We did that like almost two years ago <laughs> at this point, I think. <laughs> uh, Has it been that long? It, yeah, and we're two years in and we're on season two, oh, man. Uh, episode 18 called The Immunity Syndrome. The original air date for this was January 19th, 1968, and the episode opens up with a captain's log stating that the Enterprise is headed for Starbase 6 for some rest and relaxation, and Kirk and Bones are on the bridge, and uh, Kirk is talking about how well the crew has performed, but they're exhausted and they need a little bit of rest, and uh, Ahura tells Kirk that she's getting a message from Starbase 6, but there's heavy interference, so she can only make out something about Intrepid and uh, a sector coordinate. There seems to be a lot of a lot of heavy interference going on in this show. Yeah, there's a lot of shit happening in space that stops them from being able to talk to each other. Yeah, besides space I, uh, itself. Yeah, I understand that. It, it's a like uh, it's a, a running theme, but for some reason I believe it every time. I'm like, yeah, I get it. For space being like mostly empty, it sure is not empty anywhere that they go. <laughs> <laughs> But Spock says that there's no indication of magnetic storms in the sector, and then McCoy points out that the Intrepid is manned by some Vulcans. And Kirk has Ahura try different channels, and then suddenly Spock is just like, he gets like a head pain, like suddenly thousands of voices cried out and then were silenced. And uh, Kirk and McCoy rush to him, and he says that the Intrepid just died, and that all 400 Vulcans on board are dead. So I was wondering what Spock's midichlorian count is if he's feeling this. <laughs> Through the force? Yeah, so suddenly oh he's just gosh. feeling this stuff. What a great, oh man, what a good reference, dude. I gotta clap, I'll clap on that one. What a good reference, because I did not get that one. Oh man, I can't wait to think of that. So McCoy wants him to go to the sick bay, but he argues against it, and uh, Kirk just orders him to go. So McCoy and Spock, they leave, and Uhura patches Kirk through to Starbase 6, and a man from Starbase 6 tells Kirk to divert to Sector 39J immediately. Uh, Kirk tries to argue that they're just coming off of an exhausting mission and they need some rest and relaxation, but the man says that the rest it's a rescue priority, so they gotta go anyway. They get some static interference, and uh, the guy says that they've lost contact with Solar System Gamma 7A, and that's where the Intrepid was, and they've lost contact with the Intrepid. So Spock was right. Yeah. Well, we don't know Spock They don't, know even, they don't, right they don't even give him any really credit for that either. They're like, yeah, but we don't know Spock is right yet. They never bring it back up like, oh, hey, uh, you were right about that. Uh, they, yeah, do, we did, we did. they do make mention of Later it like on. in a throwaway, yeah. Just a, a quick yeah. like, yeah, I guess Spock was right about this. But I don't think they, yep. I don't think they said it to him. 
Yeah, but at this moment, though, they don't know that Spock is right, though. They know that they lost contact, but they don't know they're dead yet. Right. They don't know they're dead until they'll be a little bit later. So Yeah, they lose yeah, contact with that. stuff all the time. Like, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but, um, it's, it's half it's, the episode it's, premises. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's, it's very strange that uh, like, I, I, I get not believing Spock, but at the same time, like, it's Spock, man. Yeah. Like, you, like how often would, is he, he wrong? He doesn't. How, not how often is he wrong. How often does he speak like facts? Not, not not wrong, but like not. It's not wrong or right. But when Spock says something, it's gospel to me. You know, like blah blah blah. As Spock said, "Plisk can fly." I'm like, you know what, Spock, you're right. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I, I'm not gonna argue with him because he'll he'll come up, he'll explain it to me. So yeah, I just I thought it was weird. They said go to sick bay immediately instead of believing Spock. I don't know. Maybe it's just a thing, but right. You, yeah. You've seen enough to know that if Spock gets a feeling that this happened, maybe it's actually happened. Yeah, it's but not I'm like in, he, Spock is, is a notorious liar. Like yeah, he's, he's, just he's a very credible <laughs> Vulcan. Yeah. And after the credits, though, I'm already in, by the way. Like, the, the opening scene was, uh, I mean, it's very like very generic in general, but after the first, like, minute, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm in this episode. Cool. Let's oh, yeah. It. Yeah, absolutely. Same. Yeah, I was really looking forward to the rest of this episode. Uh, but Kirk acknowledges the order that he gets, and then they set a course for Gamma 7A. And Chekhov announces that he's completed a scan of the 7A system, and it's dead. Like, the entire system is just dead. So Kirk goes to check the scan, and he confirms that the system and its billions of inhabitants are dead. And so we go to the show opening from here. It's the first time I ever skipped this entire series, the first time I ever clicked the skip intro button. As I was like, oh, I just yeah? don't feel like sitting through this. Show? <laughs> I'm like, I, don't, I just don't <laughs> feel like sitting through this today. You're so excited well, that you skipped? Wait, excited? Could you skip it? So excited you skipped it? Was just like you didn't feel like hearing it? No, I just didn't feel like hearing it. <laughs> let's let's get oh, this okay. going. <laughs> yeah, the first time in like two years that I didn't hear that funky bass line going on in the background. <laughs> uh, but we come back from uh, the show opening, and we're in the sick bay, and Spock is laying on a table, telling McCoy that he's okay, and McCoy is just over there scanning him. And McCoy's instruments agree, and Spock gets up off the table, and McCoy asks him how he can be sure that the Intrepid was destroyed, and Spock says that he sensed it die. So yes, he definitely has the Force, I feel like. Like, suddenly, Spock's just getting that much more powerful. Also, I like the continuity that they always do when Spock's in the medical chamber. Like, his uh, his uh, readings are always in the red. Right. And McCoy's always like, I don't know why we even bother with this stuff, because you have weird physiology. <laughs> Like, why does Every he still time, bother? Yeah. Leave Spocko alone. Like, I, I, like, I'm a human doctor, not a Vulcan doctor, damn it. How do they? How does he not um, have specialized machine or, like, calibrations for Vulcans at this point? That's what I was going to say. I don't understand how he doesn't understand Vulcan physiology by now. Like, it should be books or something by now. Yeah. Especially if the Intrepid is a, is a, uh, is a Star Trek ship. Star Trek, wow. <laughs> Star, uh, Starfleet ship that's, you know, by, by, driven by all Vulcans. So I'm assuming there's enough Vulcans in it to know their physiology by now that like there should be some kind of computer files or something. Well, why did, like Spock would bring like equipment from his own planet, like, oh hey, I got stuff to actually, you know, work on Vulcan, you know. Right. Uh, Have we been to Planet Vulcan yet? Yeah. Yeah. Uh the the marriage one. Yep, first Is that episode the only time we've been for that the, mar- the marriage fight? That's the only time we've been there. So we haven't yeah. been like in the cities to see like the the way the life and stuff like that, yeah. No, yeah, they no. went to like an ancient area to do that, to okay. do the whole wedding thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, like the, uh, the Vulcans understand like everything, so I feel like they definitely understand their own bodies. So there has to be like book after book after book of like medical shit for the Vulcans, right? So, so I feel like that should be on uh, 
like on their machines. And, they should know how to do that. Donald McCoy's smart exactly. enough. I'm assuming that him reading the books will be able to understand what to do. For, right. I'm assuming he'll be able to understand it. So yeah. But also, uh, your point about the Intrepid, I don't think that it's a Federation ship. I think it's just a Vulcan ship that sent out like oh, a distress oh. signal. Because they never make mention of it being a Federation ship. And it, Ooh, it's manned oh, by okay. all Vulcans. And the Vulcan, remember, Spock's dad was mad at him for joining Starfleet. So I feel like the yeah. Vulcans don't have like 400 Again. of them in Starfleet that have their own ship. Uh, okay, so yes, yeah, since Spock is so, since Spock's kind of a rare thing. You're right. Okay, I, I, I thought he was saying. like the only one in Starfleet at this point, isn't he? I believe so. Sure. And that's why his dad is mad at him. Cause isn't it like almost like a taboo for the Vulcans to really interact with uh, the Federation? Like you yeah. get along, but they don't really like each other. Right. I only know I only know that's part from the uh, movie. So I'm not sure if the movie uses the, but the movie it's, it's that way. But I'm not sure if the movie is more of the uh, the new movies. I'm not sure if that's oh, actually yeah. or not. Yeah, I don't know how how close those are to like canon. Yeah. Uh, but either way, McCoy says that he thought that Spock had to be in physical contact to, you know, experience these kind of thing. But Spock interrupts him and he says that even half a Vulcan could hear the death scream of 400 Vulcan minds crying out. And McCoy just kind of doubts him. He's like, he pressed X to doubt. And he, <laughs> he says that uh, it's a deep understanding of the way that things happen to Vulcans. And he knows that not a person or even computers on the Intrepid knew what was killing them or would have understood it had they known. So McCoy... Uh, mentions the 400 Vulcans and uh, Spock just says that he noticed that humans find it easier to understand the death of one than the death of a million. What a mic drop from Spock on like right on. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the way it's the, it's the line he says after that. Cause he says, uh, I don't know if you wrote that one down What he says, uh, when you wish that on us and he says yeah. something like, uh, something like fill the death of the nine neighbor, huh? And he says, if you did that, maybe the world would be better. And I just, like it's like feel somebody else's pain and maybe you might be a better person if you can feel the pain that you gave them or whatever. I just right. it, it really stuck with me. But to to this section, like there's that that saying that like the death of one person is a tragedy and the death of a million is a statistic. And like that's just kind of yeah. what he's he's talking about at this point. Yep. Yep. Uh, exactly. But yeah, that's where uh Spock says that McCoy speaks about the object hardness of Vulcan hearts, but it seems that there's little room in his own. And then uh, Spock's like, just like, yeah, I got him. And he just like mic drops and walks towards the door. <laughs> yeah. And that's when McCoy says, uh, suffer the, the death of thy, na- thy neighbor, eh, Spock? You wouldn't want to wish that on us, would you? And then he like turns around. He's like, I got to hit him with another one. And he's like, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, it might have rendered human history a little less bloody. And then he just leaves. <laughs> Spock was on fire this episode. Yeah. I was like, that's really, that's really cold of Spock. Like, I get it. It's super cold. But you can't tell me. That there were no wars in Vulcan history. Like, he was going to kill a man over an arranged marriage not long ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, let's, let's not go talking about, you know, suffering the death of thy neighbor, my guy. <laughs> well, also, let's not look at the Romulans. Like, oh, hey. Yeah, uh... yeah, but, <laughs> yeah but he wasn't he wasn't killing him out of malice, though. See, that's the difference. He wasn't killing him because he, Still like, out of malice. It's just, was he was just going to kill him. He wasn't going to enjoy it. He wasn't doing it like... Out of thing, it was just part of that tradition. So well, he didn't it's, seem it's like he was going to feel bad about it either. So. Yeah, he was just going to kill either. that man to get him a he wife. He wasn't going to feel good or bad about it. He's going to feel nothing <laughs> about it because it's just something that had to be done. But I mean, it was, that was a really good like. It really helped set the tone for the rest of this episode. I feel like Spock was like super duper serious here. But we skip to a little bit later, and Spock enters the bridge, and Kirk suggests that uh, he may have been right about the Intrepid, as they've lost all contact with it and an entire solar system. So that's where he's kind of like, yeah, you know, maybe you weren't crazy after all. Maybe you do have the Force. 
And uh, <laughs> Kirk then asks Uhura if there is any word from Starfleet, but she says that the distortion is just getting worse, so she can't get through to anything. Uh, Mr. Kyle, who is currently in place of Sulu while he's probably still shooting a movie, alerts Kirk that their deflector shields have snapped on, and so then they slow down to warp three. So Spock gets readings of energy turbulence ahead, but the computer can't analyze it, and he says that he's never encountered readings like that before. So Kirk orders them to turn their scanners on, and they look to the screen to see a huge, like, just black mass, which is weird to say, like, see in space, but it's like it's literally just a big black mass. That kind of looked like a McNugget. Yes, it's just a, <laughs> a burnt McNugget out there in space, yeah, <laughs> and they're like, "My God, who would do around. such a thing?" Uh, Man, everything's in space, isn't there? Let's not go talk about chicken nuggets, because then Paul's going to talk about barbecue sauce and sweet and sour hey, sauce. Don't, don't even start about that again. <laughs> it's a Give me the sweet and sour work. sauce, man. Don't, I will fight you over that. Um, yeah, so Kirk asks what the, the object is, and Chekhov thinks that it could be an interstellar dust of cloud or cloud of dust. Uh, but Spock thinks that that's not likely, and Kirk points out that you'd be able to see stars through it if it was a dust cloud. And he says that it looks more like a hole in space. So Kirk then asks Spock for readings, but the computer is still unable to analyze any of the data from the sensors, so Spock doesn't have anything for him. And Spock says that the dark zone lies directly in the course he calculated from the for the Intrepid and the Gamma 7A system. Kirk then has them slow to warp one and launch a telemetry drone, and they get this really high-pitched noise, like just kind of like a like a building high-pitched squealing that starts to build through the ship. And everybody but Spock starts to like thrash around and they're holding their ears, which Spock I don't he just he's never affected by anything like this. Like I forget it's something with his brain or something. Didn't they try this like in an earlier episode and it didn't bother him at yeah, all? Something, well, he something also didn't seem too concerned about his fellow co-workers either. Just kind of like, what are no, they doing? Yeah, he's just like weak ass bitches. Like a little sound <laughs> sound puts you down. Like you guys really do suck. Well, and see, Spock should have been more sensitive because of his Vulcan hearing. Right. I bet he has like filters he can just put down over his eardrums. Yeah, he probably has filters in his eardrums that allow him to be able to not uh, send pitches don't bother him. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they thresh around, they hold their ears, and Kirk asks Spock for speculation on what's going on, but Spock still doesn't have anything to say. And then Ahura gets up and she gets a little bit dizzy and she almost falls over. So then we get uh, McCoy who calls from the sick bay to tell Kirk that he's getting reports from every deck that half the ship's crew just fainted. And Kirk mentions that the same thing happened to Uhura, and uh, he asks McCoy if he wants to come see her, or send her down there, but McCoy says that not unless she's feeling ill, because she has an emergency, or he has an emergency in the sickbay. So he says that it's nothing organic, and that people seem to be nervous and weak and irritable, and it all happens suddenly like a balloon popping. And McCoy says that he's giving them some stimulants to keep them on their feet, and he thinks that he can handle it. And at this point, I really liked how this episode started building. Like it just it just goes, mm-hmm. you know? Like I there agree. hasn't been a, like a second of downtime so far. Everything's just like this it's not a slow build, but it's not like super fast. Mm-hmm. It's like the pacing of this is yep. really good so far. I, I got to miss something. This is the first episode I ever watched and then didn't keep notes. I was like, I don't want to know. I don't I didn't write down any notes. I'm like, I don't write any notes. I'm like, I'll find out what to say as we're going along because I truly was so immersed. I didn't want to stop watching. Yeah. And I didn't want to. And I was like, well, so like, I just like, yeah, I'm not watching any notes. I'm just going to watch the episode and just go with it. And then I just like, because it was, it was pretty kind of simple for things I liked about it. I kept in my head. So like, I don't know. I didn't write notes this time. I actually, uh, when I started it, uh, I was taking my normal notes and then I got to the show opening and I went, you know what? I think I want to watch this one one time through without taking notes. So I watched it 
uh, I got almost to the end of it before I had to stop because other stuff came up and then I restarted it to read like to do all the notes. So I like I like this oh, one see? enough that I really just wanted to like sit and enjoy it and not have to think about the notes that I was going to take. So I actually got what? through this one pretty much twice. Yeah, they did yeah. a good job by pulling you in right away. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Kirk orders Kyle to hold their position and he goes to Spock for an update. But again, Spock has no analysis because he has insufficient information and uh, Kirk just gets a little bit annoyed, and he says that he's asked three times, and Spock hasn't given given him anything. And Spock explains that the computers don't contain any information on the phenomenon that they're experiencing. And Kirk notes that he's tired, and he says that if Spock doesn't know what it is, then maybe they can figure out what it isn't, which is a really good way to approach that. Like, like you don't know anything about it, so let's go through what you do know that it's not. Right. Super smart way, like. It- I always give Kirk this like Superman type thing and whatever, but like this was a very, very simple way of thinking. Like, okay, we know what it's not, and let's just start talking about what it's not, so we can start eliminating possibilities. And I, I found it very smart. Right, Kirk's like, well, it's it's not human, but do we think it's female? Like, do you think I could get with it? Is that is that maybe a possibility? Like, Getting them making holler at it. We know it's not well, angry. That, that at me. <laughs> Jumping ahead, he, there was the possibility of that. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I can't wait to get there. Um, but Spock notes that it's not a liquid, gas, or solid, even though they can't see through it. And he says it's not a galactic nebula. And since the deflectors were activated by it, it would seem to be some form of energy. But nothing on their sensors can identify it. So Kirk asks if it's possible that it's what killed the solar system and the Intrepid. And Spock says that that's very possible. Do you think they marked that down as a Gary Mitchell? Like, hey, we don't like something godlike, but we don't know what it is, but it has strange powers. Like, yeah. What category would you file that under for the Federation? Um, I mean, in the end, it turns out to be a living creature. So I don't it's, it doesn't really have godlike powers. It's just a, a big living thing, basically. Um, So uh, Captain uh, Brandon here. So uh as your helmsman, why are we going toward this thing? And why are we going inside of it? Why are we backing up further to do more scans to figure this out? Why are we going to see what this is? Hold on, Paul. At this point yeah. in, the, in the episode, I, I'm like, this is the first time I felt like the crew should have mutinied against Kurt. Because like, he just said they were all tired. <laughs> They're really <laughs> pissed that they had to go to do this mission. First of all, I want to go Starbase 10, not Starbase 6 in the first <laughs> yeah, place. Okay, yeah. that's the first issue. <laughs> okay, second issue is, like, we're going toward a black hole, pretty much. Like, that's, it's empty. We're just going straight toward it. Like, can we back up? Let's do some more scans. Let's send some more probes. Let's, let's do some investigation. Rather than get so close that we're committed to whatever's going on. After they like, knew that they destroyed a solar system. Th- th- I just I, I didn't get that part. Like for for as good as the episode is, like I'm like, yo, do not go, do not go in there. Like you see what's going on over there. Like yeah. I don't know. I just well, I think they're going towards it because they have to. Like that's their job, right? Is to investigate these things. And if it destroyed a solar system, then at the very least they have to try to stop it so it doesn't do that again. I mean, they stopped okay, the fair, big fair, fair. metal planet eating worm thing. Fair, fair yeah. enough. I don't know. I just personally, I just think that we should have set back. We should did some more scans, do some more research, keep backing up slowly, do some investigation, and see what's going on. Because we got so deep in, we were committed. Yeah. Like, we were committed. To be fair, it snatched them up pretty quick, though. Like, it's not long after this, after they're going, wait, like, what is this thing? Like, it's a big black hole, and then suddenly it's got them. So, like, it didn't take long for it to grab them. 
they were moving at warp one. I know the ship goes faster than that. So we should have been yeah. backtracking at warp five <laughs> or six. <laughs> going going backwards as fast as we can, just scan around. There's and if it's sped up, we run. can speed up too. Yeah, Starfleet I don't know. Doesn't <laughs> Unless it's toward the thing. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> exactly. I just, I was like, man, it just, it just caught me off guard. The fact that we didn't do some more research when we went, went inside. Well, uh, they do here though. They, uh, Kirk tells Uhura to notify Starfleet that they're going to attempt to probe the area of darkness to gain further information. So they do start to try to do that. Uh, but Kirk goes to his chair and he almost falls over and nobody lends a hand. They're <laughs> just like, whatever. Captain's just on his shit again. Uh, we all tired. Yeah, I ain't helping you out. Get up. And then uh, they move ahead slowly on impulse power. So like they're not warping anymore. They're just on using the impulse engines. And uh, Uhura announces the completion of the transmission to Starfleet. So that means that you know they're good to go now. They can go ahead and die, and Starfleet will know what happened. Uh, Chekhov announces that they're going to enter the dark zone in one minute and seven seconds. So Kirk orders a red alert, and they set their deflectors to full power, and then they ready their phaser banks. And then the, you get the uh, high pitch noise that comes back. And Uhura notes that it's not coming from their communications, so it's nothing on her end. And Spock begins to analyze it as everybody else just covers their ears. So the tone stops, and Chekhov notices that they can't see stars on the screen anymore. And Kirk turns to Spock to see if it's some kind of malfunction, but it's not. And he, he asks Spock to explain what happened to the stars. And Spock says that it's unknown. He's like, I don't know, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I know yeah, as much I, as what you do. Think I'm like an astronomer or something? Like a scientist. <laughs> uh, so Kirk calls McCoy to see how things are going. And McCoy says that everything's gotten worse. And there's people lined up all down the corridor. And he asks McCoy if, uh, if McCoy has anything that will help on the bridge so that nobody passes out at a critical moment. And McCoy's like, yeah, I got some drugs for you. Like, let me, yeah, let me, yeah, let me stuff visit up. Scotty really quick. Yeah, let me stop at his uh, quarters <laughs> and grab what he's Scotty. got. Yeah. Uh, Kirk, speaking of Scotty, Kirk gives him a call and asks about the power loss they had. But Scotty says that they lost 5% of their energy reserve and their deflector shields are weakened. And Kirk asks if they can compensate for the loss, and Scotty thinks so, as long as they don't lose any more. But he says, it, uh, he's like, hey, you know, don't ask how this happened, because I have no clue. And Kirk gets really mad, and he says that he is asking how it happened, and he wants answers. And then a really good way to not get answers is to hang up on him, which he did. <laughs> it's like, I want you to tell me everything you know, click. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if it's just, like, if it's tired Kirk, or, like, you know, he's exhausted. There's a lot of stuff going on, but Kirk really does not like being in control of a situation. Every time something happens and he doesn't know why it's happening and how, like he gets just pissy with everybody. All he the he time. does. Like he is a man yeah, that has to be in control. Yeah, he has to, you know, I think to be out of control. He likes Which, to know. Yeah. I understand. I, I, I can completely sympathize with that. I like to be in control as well. Hey, hey, that's, <laughs> that's how he got to be a captain. Yeah. But McCoy and a nurse arrive on the bridge and they start injecting everybody with a stimulant and they use the same needle. I don't know if it's I, safe I in the future. But, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe they don't have that problem anymore. They've probably cured all that, but that's still weird and gross. It's actually probably not even a, a needle. It's probably just like something that does a quick spray that somehow gets into your pores. So there's probably like I, no needle I at all. But something still. Cool like that. Yeah. But then, and then again, he put it over their shirt. So I don't know. <laughs> anyway, they're sharing needles on the bridge. And uh, McCoy says that two thirds of the personnel are affected by what's going on. So Kirk asks McCoy if he has any answers. And of course, he does not have any answers as well. 
Then a crew member behind them, sitting on a chair, just falls out of his chair. And the nurse runs over to help him, and Kirk and McCoy are just kind of talking about what's going on. And then Kirk goes over to Spock for an analysis of the last burst of noise that they had. And Spock says that the sound was the turbulence caused by the penetration of a boundary layer. Kirk's like, what boundary layer? And Spock's <laughs> like, I don't know. So Kirk asks, well, he's like, okay, what was the boundary, boundary layer between? And Spock's like, well, it was the layer between where we were and where we are now. <laughs> Kirk gets so annoyed. Yeah, he's like, are you trying to be funny? And Spock's like, no, dude. Like, it's just, I don't, I don't know what else to say here. Uh, but Spock says that they seem to have entered a, a zone of energy that's incompatible with their living and mechanical processes. And as they get closer to the source, it gets stronger and they get weaker. So Kirk then asks for recommendations and McCoy speaks up and he's like, uh, I re- recommend we survive and we get out of here. And then they do I not mean, do that. That's the he, first time that uh, like McCoy really was like, yo, let's get about it. Like, yeah, he put his foot. Yeah, like, let's go. And I was like, I was like, yo, let's go. And, and McCoy's like this. We got to go. Yeah, they even played like a little musical cue there for him as well. He's like, I suggest we get out of here. And they're like, cue the music. Kirk's like, I'm going to do the complete opposite of that. We're going to go farther yeah. in. I asked for recommendations only so I can ignore them to show you that I am in charge. Um, but Kirk then goes to his chair and he addresses the entire ship through the PA system. And he says that they're on a difficult mission, but it's not the first time. And he says that their orders don't say stay alive or retreat. And their mission is to investigate. And he notes that they're sick and they're getting sicker, but they have a good ship and they have the best crew in Starfleet and they should do their jobs, which is not really inspiring. Like, hey, no. I understand you're dying, <laughs> uh, but do your job and <laughs> get to work. Like I said, if at any point in the show, this episode screams mutiny to me. Like, yeah. <laughs> if you were on the lower deck, you would yeah. have been pissed. Right. Uh, he could have started with, like, he sees in their eyes the same fear that would take the heart of him. <laughs> like there, there may come a day when the, the strength of the Enterprise fails, but it is not this day. <laughs> nope, they're they're going to live on. This they're going to survive. Yeah, <laughs> today will be their Independence Day. Just mix a couple Lord of the Rings and Independence Day. <laughs> if he could have found something besides, I know you're tired. Do your job. Like, all right. <laughs> There's like one guy that's like woo, and everybody gives him a dirty yeah, look. Yeah, we got it. Other <laughs> guys like yo, what? Yeah. That wasn't a very good speech this time. <laughs> uh, we go to sick bay, and McCoy calls Kirk to tell him that according to the life monitors, they're all dying. And then we just go to a commercial break. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, why are we? <sighs> Come on, man. We're all dying. It's all your fault, Kirk. You should do more investigation. More investigation. We shouldn't even be this close right now. Yeah. Uh, but I, at this point, I am just f- all in this episode, though. Like, yep, it's done, I it did such a good job of pulling me in. Um, and then we come back with the captain's log, states that they've been in the zone of darkness for 10 minutes, and they've stopped their engines and are looking for a defense against the energy draining zone. I was going to say, have they shown the Enterprise since they've gone into the black zone yet? Um, I don't remember. I think they we did get a shot of it. Like, I want to say that is one of the best shots of the Enterprise so far. Yeah, where it's just, like, all black around it. Yeah, it, lo- it looks so good. Yeah. My favorite one actually comes a little bit later. I don't remember exactly when, but it's when, like, they were heading... Actually, it might have been just before this, when they were heading towards the big... No, yeah, it's after this. When they head towards the big, like, the the middle of the thing, like, the amoeba section of it. It's, like, a shot of the uh-huh. Enterprise from behind the Enterprise heading towards this thing. Like, looked... I, I thought it was a really nice shot. It's, like, computer background worthy. Oh, for sure. You have to send it to me on the uh, thing so I can look at it. 
I thought about using it for the episode cover for this one because there's not really anything that like stands out in terms of interaction. Like it's just kind of the main true main crew. Like I try to use whatever the subject of the uh, episode is, and this one just happens to be a big amoeba. So, um, but anyway, Kirk enters the engine room, and then the ship like rocks and like basically like an explosion, and everybody just gets knocked over. And Kirk asked uh, Scotty what happened, and he says that he was recalibrating and went into reverse. And Kirk's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. That was a forward lurch. And he wonders how that could happen if they were going in reverse. But Scotty just doesn't have a clue. Uh, so they go and they look at the power levels where Scotty says that they're down 12% and steadily decreasing. And then Spock calls from the bridge and informs him that they are accelerating and being uh, pulled towards the center of darkness. So he doesn't... Uh, know what's doing it and he suggests that maybe Scotty give them reverse power and uh, Kirk explains that they just did and then they lurched forward so Spock's like okay why don't you try going forward then <laughs> and from there we go to the sick bay I was made sense to me logically yeah yeah to me I was like uh the reverse like uh independence day again yeah. Versus forward and forward yeah. to verse. Oops. Yeah. Kirk's like, oops. <laughs> no oops. Kirk's like, oops. Yeah, oops. <laughs> oops. Um, so, yeah, we go to the sick bay, and Nurse Chapel is there, and she alerts McCoy that a patient's life function indicators are sharply dropping again. So then he orders some stimulants, and that was just kind of a throwaway scene because we immediately go back to the engine room. And Scotty tells Kirk that using forward thrust goes against the rules of logic. And Kirk jokes that if it doesn't work, then he'll never let Spock live it down. So he tells Scotty like, to right. go ahead and nudge it forward. Uh, they go to the controls and Scotty moves the ship forward, noting that it's slowing down, but it's still being pulled. So Kirk tells him to have an engineer monitor the instruments and keep applying pressure against the pull. And we go back to sick bay and Chapel announces that people are stabilizing, but McCoy notes that it's uh, at a dangerously low level. And then that's it. Again, like, I don't understand the, the point in these inserts here at the sick bay. Like, we get it. Everybody's dying. You don't have to tell us twice in a row. <laughs> They probably just want a little bit of filler. Little yeah, filler just need a quick episode, probably. 10, 30 seconds. Um, later on, we have members of the crew who are having a meeting, which uh, some of them we recognize, some of them we don't. And McCoy is saying that the further they travel into the zone of darkness, the weaker their life functions become, and he has no idea why. And then he has a little dizzy spell, and he almost falls over, but he says he's all right and that the stimulants are just catching up with him. And Scotty says that as far as power levels go... Everything is acting backwards, but the drain is continuing, and he says he can only get 60% power on the static tests, and they're still being dragged forward. So at this point, Kirk turns to Spock, and he says that it's logical to assume that something within the zone absorbs all forms of energy. Well, Spock says that, and uh, it would seem to be the same thing that drew all the energy out of an entire solar system and the Intrepid. Which was insane, by the way. <laughs> Which is insane to think that something could eat a whole solar system. Like, I can't even imagine that. Just it's just gathering the energy it. for a really big spirit bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Evil spirit bomb. <laughs> Evil spirit bomb? Yeah. Yeah, but, I just... It, it would just really make cool. this creature kind of like a Galactus? Yes. Pretty much what he is. Yeah. Exactly what it's, it's, it's Galactus. Um, so Kirk asks... Except Galactus just eats planets, though, not stars. I think, I think Galactus eats planets. Yeah, and this thing is going whole solar system. Uh, but Kirk asks if it's the same thing, but not the zone itself. And Spock suggests that analysis of the zone indicates a negative energy field, but it is not the source of the power drain. So Kirk thinks that it could be some kind of shield that's protecting something else. And uh, he has Scotty channel all impulse, or impulse and warp power into one massive thrust forward to see if they could get out. 
Scotty suggests that they reserve some from their for their shields in case they don't get out, but Spock believes that if they don't get out, the shields were would only prolong their death by a short period of time anyway. So basically, like, yeah, just use everything you got, because if it doesn't work, we're screwed. Uh, Kirk agrees, and he says to use whatever power is necessary to get out, and then he dismisses everyone. And everybody but Spock leaves, and Spock tells Kirk that the Intrepid would have done everything that they're doing now, and it was still destroyed. So Kirk poses that maybe they didn't do all the things, because uh, Spock just pointed out how illogical the situation is. So basically, like, they wouldn't know how to handle it because they're Vulcans. I mean, it kind of it kind of makes sense sometimes. Yeah, but uh, that's like their big weakness, is that if something is illogical, they just kind of, like, freeze up. They're like, oh, yeah, they don't, don't really know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Spock agrees. But is, I was going to say, though, Spock being around humans constantly, though, he's probably a little bit more open-minded to trying different things that his race wouldn't think of. Right. I mean, he was quick to say, pull it, uh, go reverse, to go forward. He's, he, was, he was pretty quick to that. Yeah. But is that, is that logical or illogical? I, I would don't say really know how to, I don't, I don't well, really know how to. Well, I would say it'd probably be illogical. Well, I mean, if forward makes you go backwards, and I would think it was logical to think that they would reverse, so backwards would make you go forward, right? So, like, there is logic to that. Yeah. Log- okay. So. Yeah. Uh, but Spock agrees with Kirk, and uh, he adds that the Intrepid also never knew what was killing them, and their logic would not have allowed them to believe that they were even being killed. So Kirk's like, um, you have to explain that one to me, Spocko. And Spock goes on to say that uh, Vulcan has not, uh, has never been conquered within its collective memory, and that no Vulcan can conceive of a conqueror. And he knew the ship was lost because he sensed it. So I don't really know where he was going with that. <laughs> He's like, you have to explain this to me. And so he goes off on a tangent. <laughs> like, that's not really a great explanation. So he was basically saying, like, people have never been conquered in our collective memory. Yeah. And, like, we, we can't even think of what a conqueror would be like. Like, I, I feel like you could. Just based well, off of other well, people's I experiences. Think, I think <laughs> what I got from that was we never, we've never had a situation we can think ourselves out of. Therefore, we we knew we should be able to find the answer, but we're still, we were we were shocked that we couldn't find the answer, or something like that. I, I suppose, but no problem also, they couldn't solve. Yeah, I don't know. Also, that isn't that a misstatement on Spock saying that they can't imagine what it's like to be conquered when they got uh, the Romulans who are Vulcans that are out there conquering. I mean, like, yeah, like that's the thing is they are aware of many races who conquer things all the time. Yeah, but they, I, I think they said they can't imagine being conquered, though. Like, like they can imagine there's a race out there that's even on their level. Well, they said of, that they, of, can't, uh, they can't conceive of a conqueror. Yeah, I, I think, like, of a conqueror was implying that, like, a conqueror of them. Of them? Implying that, that makes more sense. Yeah, of the, okay. Yeah, of, like, like, they couldn't imagine anything even higher than them, so, like, they were just astonished that this thing could even, they could even imagine yeah, the so, idea of anything being... Man, that, uh, that's pretty arrogant. Uh, yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> fucking well, high elves well, but that's how Spock is <laughs> that's Spock though like like Spock has this like slight arrogance without being arrogant because he right. he always knows he's the smartest guy in the room because he's but, the smartest guy in the room most of the time but that you arrogance know? though to think that no one could conquer you would be the reason why you would get conquered yeah well it's why yeah, yeah that's exactly why they died here because they didn't but know anything never been was conquered, conquering though. them because it never happened so yeah, yeah. That, that makes perfect sense to look at it like that yeah yeah, bunch of arrogant assholes. That's why they're dead. Uh, <laughs> Good riddance. Kirk asked uh, Spock what he sensed, and Spock says that it was a touch of death. 
And Kirk's like, oh, I wonder what they felt. And Spock says that they felt astonishment. And then he leaves. They're like, oh, my God, something's killing us. Oh, my God, something's <laughs> killing us. And then they Kill die. <laughs> this feels so bad, but so good. <laughs> it's so strange. They just, they just wonder, like, how could this happen? They're wondrous. Like, what is this thing? Yeah. Like, what is this I'm, new thing I'm feeling? Oh, that's death. <laughs> and then they're just gone. Uh, is so this a little bit- fear? <laughs> So a little bit later, Scotty is working in the engine room and he calls Kirk to tell him that he's ready to try. So Kirk addresses the ship's crew again to tell them that they're being pulled by an unknown force and they're going to apply all power into one giant push forward in hopes that it'll get them out of the zone and that they should prepare themselves. And that was really nice of them because usually he doesn't alert them to anything. There's just like people eating and going to the bathroom and it's like full power. And they just have to <laughs> kind episode, of deal with it. I haven't seen Lower Decks yet just so you guys know. But this episode, uh, they were, uh, he did do a lot of announcements this episode, let people know what's going on the whole time. I think this episode, I've seen him talk a lot more on the speaker than he ever has. Yeah, he's definitely uh, doing a lot of announcements. And I think that that lends to the seriousness of it. Like, that just makes it seem like it's more serious when he's telling everybody, hey guys, we're kind of screwed here. Uh, get ready. We're doing, we're going to do some stuff. Which probably freaked them out also because. All the crap that they've been through, like, oh, Kirk's calling us constantly. Like, we're all going to die. Yeah. And I imagine that there's, like, a bunch of people just working in, like, the middle of the ship that haven't seen anything. So it's like, what's going on out there? And somebody's like, oh, it's really dark out. And the guy's like, yeah, we're in space. Like, it's going to be. We need, like, no, you don't get it. There are no stars. We need companion episodes of the other people on the ship during the episodes. Like, there'll be, like, a lower deck live action, but it'll be, like, the other people on the ship at the same time so we can see yeah. what's going on. Like, Kurt's talking to us, man. Something's going on. Like, you know, like, I just imagine the other side of the conversation because Kurt never talks, so right. it'll be funny. Yeah. Uh, but he then tells Scotty to proceed, and Scotty starts the push, uh, and they start moving faster, and suddenly the ship starts to shake, and it kind of throws everybody to the ground again, which they got to get, they, they have to be tired of standing up after this one. Like have, at some point with how exhausted they are, they get thrown to the ground and they just stay there and just take a nap. <laughs> uh, but the ship stabilizes and Scotty tells Kirk that it didn't work. And the best they can do is maintain thrust against the pool. So they're still losing power and he thinks that it'll only last another two hours. So there's our time time uh, thing. It's back. We never, we haven't gotten that in a little while. Yeah, it's been a while, but but for this, it oh, it's fit totally part fine. of the yeah, if if it part of like like being digested, like like it fit the hit of the narrative, so it yeah. made sense rather totally than just adding sense. it for no reason. Yeah, like you're you lose power, you lose life support, you're all dead. So yes, makes perfect sense to monitor that. Uh, Kirk orders Scotty to maintain thrust, and he asks Spock if he knows what they're against yet. And Spock says that he doesn't know, but he'd say that it has found them. And they look at the screen to see a large glowing like reddish fish-looking creature that is coming towards them. doesn't really look like a fish, but it kind of looks like a fish. Kirk orders Chekhov to prepare a probe as Spock announces that his readings confirmed that the thing is a source of the energy drain. So they launch the probe, and Spock counts down to the time of probe impact. And then the probe impacts, and it shakes the ship, and Spock begins reading the probe's data. And the object is approximately 11,000 miles in length and varies from 2,000 to 3,000 miles wide. And the outer layer is covered in space debris and waste, and the interior consists of protoplasm varying from a firmer gelatinous layer to a semi-fluid central mass. And he's like, yeah, it's a living creature. So for some reason, Kirk wants to look at it closer, and he has them magnify the screen, and then they just take a closer closer look. And Spock says that uh, it's drawing them in the same way that it drew in the Intrepid. And then we get a commercial from here. I, I really like the uh, I'm in, and I really like the... Uh 
the, the design of the creature again because it's very unique as in it's not it doesn't fit any kind of pattern it's not square it's not triangle it's not circle it's not you know a regular shape it's just it's itself and i really i really like that yeah and it's not a godlike being like it's it's a living creature <laughs> it just it's like it's just yeah. a big space amoeba so then we're gonna kill it well yeah that's what starfleet do um <laughs> So we come back from the commercial and McCoy has the creature on a little screen and he informs Kirk and Spock that it's an amoeba. And Kirk is sarcastically like, yeah, I remember my basic biology, uh, but you sure, sure as hell didn't a minute ago. And McCoy explains <laughs> that it's a giant single celled animal that can perform all the functions that qualify it as a living organism, such as reproducing, breathing and eating, though he doesn't know what it eats. And Spock suggested it uh, eats the energy that it's draining from them. And he thinks that it's, invading the galaxy like a virus so kirk wonders how they're surviving where the intrepid didn't and spock thinks that the intrepid must have come across it while it was still low in energy or hungry and he says that they're not safe and that they just have a little more time than the intrepid did so kirk wonders about the zone of darkness asking if the organism generates it as a form of protection and mccoy says that uh they have to take a closer look at it but kirk points out that the closer they get the faster their energy drains and they're barely surviving now. So McCoy says that he wants to risk a shuttlecraft with a protective shield. And Kirk's like, nah, I'm not going to risk it. And uh, the unmanned probes can get by, uh, can get the information that we need to destroy it, and, uh, if it can be destroyed. And Spock does not agree with that. And he says that the unmanned probes haven't given them the information that they need yet. And that they can't keep wasting power taking blind shots at it while hoping that they find a way to kill it. Yeah, uh, there's definitely a lot of information going on, a lot of talking, but like, there's not a lot to talk uh, uh, talk about at the moment because it's it's just going, yeah, and it's perfectly and it's self-explanatory, you know. So like you're like it's self-explanatory and it's like perfectly uh, written and going along because you know all information you need to know and it's just building up, building up until you find out you know exactly what it is until the uh, trying to solve the issue. So right. Uh, McCoy suggests that they send one man in on the shuttlecraft, and Kirk says that he can't order anybody to do that because the odds of survival are low, and McCoy volunteers. He says that he's already done the preliminary work, but Spock thinks that the creature has uh, reflexes and the unmanned probe must have stung it when it entered, and he thinks that the lurch that they felt was the turbulence of its re of its reaction. So basically every time they shoot a probe, it like hurts the thing, and that makes it react, and that's why the ship shakes. And McCoy says mm, that uh, okay. he's like, well, I know enough to go slow. And Spock says that McCoy has a martyr complex and he believes that that <laughs> disqualifies him. He's like, like, you're just willing to go up there and die for a little bit of science. <laughs> now, McCoy argues and he says that he's not passing up the greatest living laboratory. Uh, but Spock interrupts him saying that the Vulcans saw it first and they died. So McCoy doesn't think that he would fail. But Mc Spock insists that he is actually more capable. So Spock's like, I'll right. do it. All right, so if you're Kirk, who do you choose? Who's the best man to go? It's Spock. It's of course it's Spock. We all we all know it's Spock. That's not it's not, it's not even a question. Yeah, it has. To be. You don't you don't think Kirk debated it even a little bit no, in his no, head? No, no. Even though he debated it on screen, this was this was not a choice. One of us is physically superior; the other one's not. This is not a, even a close to being a choice, especially when it's something so strenuous like like. And here's the thing about I like I like McCoy a lot. Okay, I'm not going to knock him except this one moment. There's nothing McCoy do that Spock can't do better. <laughs> Let's be real here. Yeah, I mean true. If Spock wanted to be a doctor, he'd be a better doctor than than McCoy was. Like there's nothing about so like 
ain't even thinking about it. I'm like, yo, Spock, go ahead. But but yeah. I'm but only reason I'm thinking about it as, out of out of respect for McCoy, I'm gonna go think about it. But I'm not gonna say it immediately. I speak of course, like, I made this decision I made, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like right. But yeah. But at the same time, then, time. like in that same vein of thought, do you risk your better guy and risk losing him, or right. do you, yes, do you be, send the guy that yes, could probably the, get the same results? But it's death. But like the, yeah. the end result's death. But so then you lose that better guy. Kill, yeah. The end result is death. No, uh, not death. <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Death for everybody, though. Yeah. Like it's so. Yeah. So the ship gonna die. So like I gotta send my best person forward to be able to to get complete that objective. Now, if I can't, I can't imagine any scenario that I will pick McCoy over Spock. Like let's be real here. Like the the, I, the 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 only valid point I could give to like Kirk might choice take McCoy is Spock is irreplaceable. Yeah, but as Paul pointed out, if McCoy were to go and fail, then they would all die either way. That's that's tr- yeah. Yeah, that, true. I, yeah. th- I think Spock is replaceable with another Vulcan. Yeah, just grab any of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they come off an assembly line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I agree with you. Like, I don't want to be a jerk right now, but I can get another logical Vulcan to get on here and do exactly what Spock does. I mean, get a robot. Like, why don't they have robots at this point? Like, that, that, hold on, that's the next generation. <laughs> well, like they had Nomad I'll, out doing a thing. He seemed like, just have yeah. one of those things on board. Yeah, I'm just that. Like he, <laughs> I, I'm you don't just need to like, pay a Nomad either. No. I, I did appreciate they made in the second one to make a, a spot. A Kirk do his whole decision out loud, thinking about it, and he saw like it's the first time he saw him really thinking about it. At the same time, this decision was made the moment <laughs> that we brought it up, like yeah. to me personally. And like this is just wasting my thirty seconds or a couple minutes, but I can see yo, yo, spot go. Like I, I'll take her McCoy later. You know, just go ahead and go. Right. But they, he wasted it. He wasted that like that little time of thinking about it, and they only got minutes to spare. Well, no, I, it's time they had, they had a so had a like hour and a half or something like that. Yeah, it's an hour and a half by now. But then later on, they have like a minute to spare. But yeah, imagine if it was McCoy. McCoy would have been dead anyway. You know, I mean, he'd yeah. been dead quick. I, I agree. Just, I do. I do like though how Kirk had like who do i decide which one of my friends i'm gonna you know send to die pretty much so and right. i'm i when he does that i we, we skip like a minute ahead my bad brandon we skip a little bit ahead but uh uh one thing i have is like i wonder if he always does the captain's log on that situation it's like that right like captain's log. i have a real hard decision to make i want to recommend you know like uh explain my decision out to to the star base like that's something he has to do when he makes decisions like this or something he's had to do this time because this is the first time we so, see him uh start the starfleet command and kind of uh put his uh thoughts out there so they can see what how he was thinking so i'm curious I mean, he probably doesn't have to but i'm sure it helps like because they're gonna have to write a report on this if they survive and i'm sure it's just kind of like a cover your ass kind of thing like yeah, I have this decision to make. Here's how I made it, just to show that I was being completely fair and objective, like in this situation. And it was I wasn't biased towards anyone, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. He could have just sent them both. Fuck it. <laughs> just both of you guys. <laughs> yeah. It's my first split second. I thought he might. Yeah. Well, then we hit this point here, and, and Kirk says that he's not taking volunteers. But he says that he's the better qualified. Or he's better qualified as a command pilot than they are. So he's like, maybe I should go. Like I, I fly the best. Like, dude, you, you, you like that's not a qualification. Like you can fly the best. Good for you. Well, it, uh, it, it kind of shows you that their abilities, like, 
like uh, with Spock being a better at science and Kurt being a better pilot than they all are, and the Doc being better at some of the scientific information, some of uh, the, the information, like they all got their own little specialties in their own little right. way. And I just but like it's just you know, funny that you know uh, McCoy's like, yeah, like I'm a, a medical guy, like I'm a scientist, and Spock's like, yeah, I'm also a scientist, but I also have this crazy like superhuman <laughs> body. And Kirk's like, well, I fly. Like, right? like, good for you. Like, I'm sure you can tie your shoes, too. That's not super helpful here. Well, well, hey, he's also good at picking up chicks. Yeah. So. Like, yes. if, you're, if you're trying to get to go down to the thing and fuck it, then maybe we send Kirk. <laughs> but that's not what they're trying to do. No. My God. It may seem that way later, but that's not what's happening right now. No. Oh. But, for yeah, he's just like, oh, I'm the better pilot. For some reason, Spock believes that that makes Kirk indispensable. Well, And he they, says that Kirk did, isn't a scientist, a science specialist. They, they didn't have to penetrate it, so Kirk would have been the best one to get. Yeah, he would have been the one. <laughs> yep. Oh, my God, no. Oh. Yeah, so uh, McCoy continues oh. to argue for himself, and uh, he says, he's like, yeah, you know, we could learn more in one day oh, than, man. you know, whatever. And Kirk just interrupts him, and he says, like, look, we don't have a day. We have one hour and 35 minutes of power left. So McCoy and Spock uh, try once more to volunteer, but Kirk says that he's going to be the one to decide. And honestly, I did want, I understand the choice of Spock, but I did want McCoy to have this because he never gets the big moment. He never gets to be the hero. Like, I right. wanted him to be the guy to go there, do the badass thing, and come back, and for Spock to be like, damn, like you were right. You did an amazing job. But like, I don't. I feel like McCoy's just never going to get his moment. Uh, he'll get it eventually. He better. We only got one more season of this, and then a cartoon, and then <laughs> six movies, or however many. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, hey, yeah, hey, is, hey, he had his moment when he was passing out all those drugs to keep people awake. Yeah, he, that's what he does. He passes <laughs> that, that out the drugs. <laughs> Here's some speed. Yeah. You're good to go. Yep. Fought off Jack stimulants the Ripper with his, his drugs. He doesn't, do, he doesn't give drugs. He gives out stimulants. Yeah. That, that's different. Uh, but we go a little bit later, and this is where Kirk is making his personal log, and he gives a quick re- recap of what they know about the, the creature. And he talks about Spock and McCoy volunteering to go into the shuttle, and he kind of goes over their individual qualifications, and he mentions that McCoy has the medical biological knowledge needed, and Spock is a better physically and emotionally suited to handle the stress. And he says that both are right and capable, and he laments that he has to condemn one of his friends to death. And again, at this point, I'm like, should have taken those robot bodies in season one. Like, it would have solved so many of the problems that they've run into since this. <laughs> they had the opportunity, and they messed it up. Uh, the Enterprise moves towards the being as Kirk calls Spock and McCoy to his quarters. And then Scotty gives him a call to inform him that all power levels are down 50% and draining. And they can maintain thrust for maybe another hour and 15 minutes. So Spock and McCoy enter and Kirk tells Scotty to ready the shuttle. And he says that McCoy is going to tell him what equipment to put in it. And like in his head, McCoy's like, yes. Uh, Kirk apologizes to Spock. And uh, McCoy says that he's going to go get some of the things he's going to need. And Kirk tells him, no, don't do that. And he apologizes to Spock for being the best qualified to go. So he got McCoy with the swerve, which is really fucked up in this situation. We're all about to die. I'm a little humor here. You are not the father. He's going to make McCoy die mad. (laughs) Yeah, for real. That was was dirty. Yeah. Um, But Spock and McCoy both leave and they're, they're walking through the corridor and they're uh, just talking, and Spock mentions that it's not the first time that superior capability has proven more valuable than professional credentials. So he is kind of, it's kind of a backhanded compliment, though, because he's kind of like, I may be physically superior, but, like, you are professionally superior. 
like in this in this field. So I mean, I'm looking at that as kind of a backhanded compliment. Yeah, uh, I agree. McCoy just completely ignores it, and he explains that the DNA code analyzer will give Spock the fundamental structure of the creature, and he says that he's going to need readings on three light wavelengths from the enzyme recorder. And Spock's like, yeah, I'm familiar with the equipment. And uh, then he goes to press a button to get into the hangar, and McCoy puts his hand over it. Uh, McCoy thinks that uh, Spock is determined to not let him share in the research, but Spock tries to assure him that, that's not, that it's not a competition. Like He doesn't care about the research, he just wants to not die. Uh, so Spock then asks McCoy to grant him his own kind of dignity. And McCoy's like, well, how can I grant you what I don't understand? And Spock's like, oh, why don't you try maybe using one of your superstitions and wish me luck? And then they I actually really like that. Yeah. I wish, though, because, like, okay, then McCoy hits the hangar button and then the door opens up and Spock goes and he gets in the shuttle and the door closes. And at that point, under his breath, McCoy's like, good luck. Like, why couldn't you have just done that? person like face to face like i get it's it, 60s macho but come on give them the, their it, moment yeah. their friends my, my canon spock heard him because of his ears he's like yeah <laughs> <laughs> but he, later he mentions that he like mccoy should have wished him luck <laughs> so like he didn't hear yeah. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah i think that uh i will if if he had said uh wish you good luck and, and spock had turned around and gave him a little little salute like hey, yeah, i got or you a handshake that would have been a really something. cool the it had been a really cool brother moment. No, no, Spock did his little a lift and prosper type thing. Yeah, like back to him, like you know, I was like, oh yeah, and that would have been a, that combination of their friendship. I think that at that moment they like, oh okay, they are friends because you know you're kind of like up in the air back and forth about their friendship sometimes the way they are. Right. But like that was a very like bro moment <laughs> of like you know like dapping up your friend right before he, they do something. You know, like that should have been there and it wasn't. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm not complaining about it. Maybe it just it, it just puts another layer to their 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 uh, relationship, but I just I yeah, don't know if that could have been a moment they really could have. Yeah, I feel like that really could have like cemented their friendship. It's probably like even better than like Bones and Kirk. Like I would say that Spock and McCoy are just like the you know they're the duo of this show. Yeah, and right. I think, yeah, yeah. I think they're I like them too. To like if it was just the, I could watch a show just them two like on a, episodes doing stuff together. Like, right. if it's just them two and they get sent to a planet together, I can watch them two and I'd have the most fun. I had the most fun watching them two more than anybody else for their dynamic. They're, they're kind of like that buddy cop duel that yeah. kind of get snippy with each other, but, you know, they, yeah, they got, got each got other's the, backs. Right. Yeah, you got the crazy guy, then the, the guy straight by, straight in the arrow, and then the one guy's always trying to get him in situations and whatever and stuff. Yeah, that's what I, yeah. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's not like... It's not going to detract from this episode at all, but I do feel like that was a no. miss. Like, I, I really feel like yeah. that. Like, damn it, just wish him good luck. Like, do, you know, give him a hug, something, like anything. And I think it would have made this episode <laughs> that <laughs> much better <laughs> because it would kind of have this feeling like McCoy thinks that he's never going to see Spock again. That like, And then it would really just up the stakes and make you think, shit, maybe something is really going to happen. But, they could have gone yeah. with the joke also, like, oh, hey, break a leg, you know, for good luck. And Spock's right. like, why would I break a leg? <laughs> why would I break my leg, Doctor? <laughs> yeah. how, how would that or benefit me like, at all? Or if, uh, if a Spock did the, uh, the free and prosperous sign with his hand, like, uh, McCoy, what McCoy could do a back I, we, and do it wrong. McCoy could try to do a back and do it terrible. Back to him. <laughs> like, you know, do it the wrong way. Like, yeah. Like, so he's like, like I, I can't do the thing. Like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like. I don't know it's like it, it, it was a felt moment at the same time. There's so much other good stuff that that's yes. just really being. Yeah, it picky. doesn't detract from the episode at all for me. It just not, would have been like it, it just would have made it that much better. I think. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but we go to the bridge, and Scotty announces that the systems are clear to launch, and Kirk gives the order to launch the shuttle. 
So Spock, uh, Spock's craft exits the Enterprise, and he starts messing with some computers on board. And then uh, Kirk orders Uhura to channel automatic telemetry data directly into the computers. And Spock contacts Kirk to tell him that the drain is enormous and growing worse. And there's a large amount of static as Spock says that he's diverting all secondary power to shields and will continue communications as long as there's power to transmit. Uh, McCoy enters the bridge as Scotty informs Kirk that Spock won't have power to get out if he diverts energy to his shields. So Kirk goes to tell Spock that, but Spock says, yeah, I heard that. And then he's like, we discussed it earlier, <laughs> but, you know, we're going to need the information that I'm gathering. So Kirk, they, they, they knew. They knew this, right? Kirk asks when he estimates penetration, and Spock says 18.3 <laughs> seconds. And he tells them to brace themselves because the area of penetration will no doubt be sensitive. <laughs> they, they knew, right? <laughs> are we just immature? Yes. We might just be immature. <laughs> okay. Yes, we are. I, I'm pretty sure we're too, we're that too, I've seen too, this. We're too grown for this. I'm pretty sure I've seen this screenshot on the uh, No Context Star Trek Twitter account where the guy just posts screenshots that have sub like actual subtitles from the show with absolutely zero context. And I believe I have seen this one before. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, there's no way that's a real one. Turns out it's a real one. Uh, Spock makes contact with the creature and it causes an explosion that throws him from his chair. Hold on. Was that Spock's first time penetrating something? You know, I don't think he was going to be married. I don't think so. And then he oh. had that one chick that was like, yeah, you know, like, I loved you or whatever. I'm, I'm going to say right, no. That's right. I'm going to say no. Uh, yeah, he reports that he is undamaged and had 3% power reserve before the shield stabilized and there was nothing to spare. And he, tell McCoy, or he, he tells McCoy that he, McCoy would not have survived the impact. And McCoy, under his breath, he's like, you want a butt? <laughs> like, I'd have been just fine. <laughs> um, Spock then reports that he's heading towards what appears to be the nucleus. And Chekhov reports that Spock has reduced his life support system to the bare minimum. So Kirk advises him to save power for the shields, but Spock says that his calculations indicate that the shields will only last for 47 minutes, which I feel like I would be okay with living another 47 minutes, but he he apparently doesn't want to. He says that he can identify the chromosome structure and changes indicate that it has enough stored energy for the reproductive process. He reports that he's having trouble controlling the ship, and is losing voice contact, but will transmit the coordinates of the chromosome bodies. So Kirk then tries to reach him uh, again, but they can't contact him. And the ship just rocks back and forth, and Kirk thinks that it's Spock hitting the creature to let them know that, hey, he's still there. So Hura announces that she's getting telemetry, and Kirk has Chekhov analyze it as they receive it. Um, A little bit later on, McCoy explains that according to the telemetry data, there are over 40 chromosomes that are ready to come together to reproduce. And Kirk says that if the energy uh, in there doubles, then they'll die, and everything within a light year is going to be defenseless. So McCoy says that if the creature keeps multiplying, it'll someday encompass the entire galaxy. And Kirk thinks that, yeah, maybe we should destroy it, (laughs) which I feel like should have been, like, the course of action from the beginning, but, you know. I I wonder if they're in the South Galaxy, too. It could be, yeah. There's a South Galaxy? (laughs) I wonder... I bet they have to like um, verify it's actually a threat before they destroy it. Once they realize it's a living thing, I mean, it destroyed you know an entire mean? solar system. I would say that it is a threat. Yeah, yeah but I don't know. They got to make sure it's, they, have, they have to make sure like it's non-communicative or something, or like they can't communicate. I don't. I, I can't. I don't know the rules of when you meet new life forms because like by the end, 
let's skip ahead. Hope, hope you guys watched the episode before you guys listen to us or with us or something. But we get toward the end or whatever, and you realize that the thing got destroyed. And and I don't like you just killed a I don't know the last of its kind. Like is it now is it now in danger? It was the dangerous species and now it's extinct. Like I know that I don't know. I just I felt like you know it's yeah, it's a, but it's it's a creature, also a man. creature that's ate an entire solar system and is about to multiply into several other solar system eating creatures. And they estimate that within a year, the galaxy will not it's exist. It's just living though. It's, it's not, it's not intentionally, it's not intentionally doing that. It's, it's just going to wipe out the surviving. entire galaxy like, in like a year. Hey. <laughs> I, I would say objectively <laughs> oh, get rid okay. of that. I'm just saying. <laughs> is, is bad for everyone. Yeah. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of that one amoeba. Did, didn't they say in the beginning of the episode like, <laughs> they, like, they killed like a billion people like right, right off the bat? Yeah, in the solar system, billions. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was hungry. Oh, that makes know sense. What I was doing. Okay, couldn't they have just given it a Snickers? Yeah, <laughs> for real. Yeah, I didn't know what it was doing. Now fuck that thing. Um, Scotty informs him that uh, informs Kirk that pulling the or that the pull is increasing and the power drain from their shields is getting critical. And they have less than an hour left. So Kirk says that shield power has unconditional priority from now on. Uhura then announces that she's receiving a message from Spock. And she plays the message and Spock says that he's slowing, uh, he's slowly uh, losing life support and has ma- minimal shield energies. Uh, according to his calculations, the nervous energy of the, organiza- of the organism is maximal just within its outer protective membrane. So its energy is maximum or... Um, it's relatively sensitive to interior <laughs> irritation, which we do that. And he believes a charge of, but then whatever he says there cuts out in that classic trope. But yeah, a, a charge of something could destroy it. Uh, but he cuts out and they can't tell what they need to kill it because they couldn't hear it. Um, so then he tells McCoy that McCoy should have wished him luck. So yeah, he did not. He didn't hear it. He's like, which is really a dick move because he's like, I'm going to die. We're all going to die. McCoy, you should have wished me luck. Like, okay, okay. Damn, I don't think that would have changed anything. Um, yeah, then we get a commercial break. McCoy's going to feel really bad in this moment. Like, oh, shit. Yeah, for all, for all like, an hour that they're about to live, he's going to feel bad. Um, we get commercial break, come back. Captain's Log recaps what we just saw. Kirk is in his quarters, and McCoy walks in and asks how he's feeling. And Kirk believes that Spock is still alive. Or McCoy believes that Spock is still alive, but Kirk says that Spock knew the odds when he went out there, same as McCoy did when he volunteered. And Kirk wonders if the creature is, or what the creature is, um, and he's like, it's, it's clearly not intelligent. Um, McCoy says that it's basically like a disease. It's like a virus invading the body of the galaxy. And Kirk's like, well, how many cells uh, does a human body have? And McCoy says, it's got millions. So Kirk notes that the creature is one cell, 11,000 miles long, and when it grows into millions, that then they'll be the virus in, invading its body. And McCoy's like, uh, yeah, we're basically the antibodies of our own galaxy attacking an invading germ. And then Kirk's like, antibodies, antibodies. And he uh, taps McCoy on the face for some reason, and he goes to his computer to call the bridge. It was kind of one of those, I, I feel, like, you're going to catch a cold. I was like, yeah, I was going to say, I feel like they, uh, Independence Day ripped that off from them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Oh, good point. I didn't I didn't think about that. Good point. 
I think that uh, the funny joke is that uh, Kurt knows a lot about viruses. <laughs> he's had a few. Let's just say that. He's, he, he's been going around yeah. the world having a good time. And let's just say that, uh, you know, he may or may not know a few things about some things you can yeah. catch from yeah, like, other species. So he's like, yeah. Um, <laughs> thank God for penicillin. <laughs> so Kirk asks Scotty how much power they have left. And Scotty says they have 43% and they can't last more than 45 minutes. Uh, less if he has to apply more thrust. So Kirk wonders what would happen if he diverted all but the impulse power to shields, and Scotty says that they'd be sucked into the creature. And uh, Kirk tells him to prepare to divert power, and then he hangs up on him. So Kirk uh, rests his head for a second, and McCoy gives him a scan with a really cool little thing that's just like a spinning crystal in a like a little jar thing. Like, it's a cool little prop, and they upped their prop. He used to just, like, point a stick at him, and they would play a sound effect. Uh, but Kirk asks, he's like, hey, you got something to say? And McCoy suggests that maybe Kirk should try to stay off his feet for a few minutes. Kirk says that they don't have a few minutes, and then they go to the bridge. So on the bridge, Kirk announces to the crew that they're going to abruptly enter the body of the organism, and he wants damage control parties to stand by and secure all decks for collision. So the bridge crew then gets ready, and they uh, switch all their power to the shields, and they cut all thrust to zero. And then the ship starts to shake and they make impact with the creature and it just like throws everybody around for like the 10th time this episode. So they make it into the creature and uh, the damage control parties report minimal damage. And Scotty informs Kirk that they only have 26% power reserves and he doesn't know if they have enough to get back out of the creature now. So he says that they do have uh, or they have no power to phasers. And McCoy points out that they couldn't use it even if they had or they'd cook themselves along with the creature. So Kirk thinks that they can use anti-power. And I was like, anti-power? Like, are you just making shit up? And then he's like, he clarifies, and he means anti-matter to, to destroy the uh, the creature. I'm like, anti-power? Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, Scotty agrees, and he says that it's worth trying, and he goes to prepare a magnetic bottle for the charge while Chekhov prepares a probe. And uh, Mr. Kyle thinks that they'll get to the nucleus in a few minutes, and Kirk says that he wants to hit it at point-blank range, which that's how Kirk always hits it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said, and once again, he wants to implant it and back away. That's just classic Kirk. He's, he classic hits it Kirk. at point-blank range, implants it, and backs away. Thrust in forward, implant, blacks, backs away. <laughs> yep, backs away forever. Oh, man, we got to grow up. That, that's the Kirk move. <laughs> I didn't realize that until I was just reading through my notes. I was like, man, Kirk. (laughs) He knows. Um, McCoy uh, wants to know why they have to be so close, and Kirk explains that there are currents that could cause the probe to drift thousands of kilometers off course and that they have to be exactly on target because they won't get a second chance. So Kirk then tells McCoy uh, that it's time for another stimulant, and McCoy's like, I don't want to do it. And Kirk's just like, yeah, just give me that juice. I just got to stay up for seven more minutes. Just, just one more. <laughs> yeah, just, just one not, more. I swear I'm not hooked. I can stop whenever I want. <laughs> so we go to the shuttle, and Spock is making a personal log saying that if he doesn't survive, he wants it known that he leaves his highest commendation and testimonial to the captain, officers, and crew of the Enterprise. And we go back to the Enterprise, and it has arrived at the nucleus of the creature, and Kirk gives a log recording his recommendation that McCoy, Scotty, Chekhov, Kyle, and Ahura all receive special citations. And Spock receives the highest commendation for giving his life and performance of his duty. So does that mean all of those security people also got the highest commendations? Because, my God, <laughs> he's yeah, lost I think a few. That, uh, I, is it the first time we saw him do this, right? Before I like, think so. it was this dire? Yeah. And, like, it, it built to the impact of the episode, too, because... Uh, 
I don't remember him doing this before. So like, you know, it's in there like it's almost like a final record because they realize like this is the first time they've been like this close to the edge in the episode that I feel personally where I felt like the it got so dire. Right. And so he, did, you know, did this. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. And apparently really none cool. of the, apparently no one else in the lower decks are doing anything like, oh, I just want to give like a few medals out to a few people. Yeah, and to my friends. Yeah. <laughs> to my friends. And that guy filling in for Sulu. <laughs> he was here too, I guess. <laughs> um, Chekhov announces that the probe is ready to launch. And Scotty says that they have six or seven minutes of power left under 100% impulse power. So Kirk orders Kyle to program the fuse with a seven minute delay. And then uh, he announces to the ship that they're going to put all non-essential systems on standby to conserve power to make it through the membrane before it explodes. Uh, Chekhov completes the programming, and then they launch the probe. So the ship shakes, and Chekhov confirms that the probe is lodged in the nucleus near the chromosome bodies. And Kirk orders Kyle to back them out the way that they came in. And he tells Chekhov to travel in a nice straight line. So they begin backing out as Chekhov estimates that they'll be out in about 6.37 minutes. Really quick, is that the only way they can go? Is a straight line for the most part? Like, why, why, why do you start swerving? Right. Yeah. Just, um, yeah, just, just you know, serpentine that, on your um, way out. Style on him. I thought a curve line was the fastest way to th- two points. Yeah. Yes, that's got to be it. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's always always straight line, but also like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, why would they do anything else? Like, you you are trying to back out through the same hole. It's like. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't even supposed to be like a joke I'm just saying like they burst through a wall like back straight out like when I leave my garage I don't fucking crank the wheel to the left or right <laughs> don't make another hole yeah. no no I'm being serious right now I thought there was a scientific thing where like if it's if there's two dots and the line is curved it's actually uh, the line's actually shorter than straight line well like, you're talking like about a, a wormhole no, a scientific term. I swear, the scientific term of like if there's two points and to get close to closer point, a curved line is actually faster than a straight line. I thought it was the fastest way from point A to point B is a straight line. I thought it was a curve. I swear. You know what? We'll find out later. We'll, we'll, we'll do some research <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll let you guys know. But I swear, I thought it was a science science thing where if you go with a curve line, it's actually faster because I, the way the the I the believe you're talking about like on a piece of paper, like when you bring the two points together, that's like a wormhole. And that's the that's the fastest route. I don't know. We have to look, do some research. I'm too old. I learned stuff in science. I can't remember. That <laughs> it was, was the last like, time we science. were in school. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's been a long ass time. Uh, Chekhov announces the that there's a metallic substance outside the ship, and McCoy thinks that it might be Spock. So Uhura patches through on a voice channel, and Kirk tries to contact Spock, but he doesn't get an answer. And he orders Scotty to use a tractor beam, but Scotty says that they don't have time as they only have a 53 second escape margin. So Kirk tells them to get two tractor beams in, and then uh, Scotty goes and gets started. So Spock comes through, and he recommends that they abandon their rescue attempt, and he doesn't want them to risk the ship on his behalf. But then McCoy just tells him to shut up. He's like, shut up, we're going to rescue you. And Spock sarcastically is like, well, all right, thanks, Captain McCoy. But, like, I've seen a looping gif of this head nod exchange between McCoy and Kirk here. Like, it's a very, like... Just like violent head nod. He's like, <laughs> got it, got it. <laughs> like McCoy's like, got him. Kirk's like, yeah, you did. Um, so they approach the membrane with 57 seconds until the explosion. And Scotty says that he can't guarantee the tractor beam is going to hold when the warhead explodes. And he looks at the power level and he sees that they don't have any power. They're completely empty. 
So Kirk worries that they're not going to make it, and then the ship rocks with an explosion, and it throws everybody all over again for the last time uh, in the episode. And then they stabilize, and Kirk orders the main viewing screen to be turned on, and they turn on the screen, and they see that there's stars again. So Chekhov reports that the, organiz- or the organism is destroyed. And Scotty reports that power is coming back and that the shuttlecraft is still there. And Spock contacts them and requests permission to come aboard. No. Um, yeah, <laughs> permission nope, to nope, die. Nope. We said you were going to die out in space. You're going to die out in space. Uh, Spock says that he has fascinating data on the organism. And McCoy gets like pretty upset. And he's like, oh, don't be so smart. He's like, you've botched the... Uh, I don't even remember the word. It's a big word. I have it here. I don't want to try to pronounce it. I'm going to... Acetylcholine? Yeah, he's like, you have... Uh, botched the acetylcholine test and then Kirk interrupts him. He's like, calm down. And uh, he orders Scotty to bring the shuttlecraft aboard. So the craft docks and then Kirk orders Chekhov to set a course to Starbase 6 at warp 5 and he says he's still looking forward to a nice period of rest and relaxation on a lovely planet. But he, there's a chick, that, like a yeoman, walks yes. up and hands him yeah. a date. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. He's, he's yeah. like just ogling her and he's like, yeah, I'm ready for a nice period of rela- rest and relaxation on a lovely. And then he looks at her and then he's like, planet. All the guys start laughing like a hot girl just walked by and, and we all must at the same time looking at each other. And yeah. like, yeah, like, mm, mm. Yeah. Hey, hey, all this penetration that they just went through, Kirk's like, I'm, I'm, I'm raring to go. Yeah, he's all hopped up on stimulants. He's penetrating things. He just killed a giant monster. He is just ready to go. It's funny. He did the same thing earlier when he talked about relaxation at the beginning of the episode, and there was the omen. Actually, he did it both times. Kirk did. He did it. I feel episode like two that's got to be against regulation. You can't be fucking your yeoman. <laughs> <laughs> he, he just he just looked at her. You know, he just he just eyed her. You know. Yeah, oh, she looked cute. He, she, he, he's like, she jumped my bones. Do you think that <laughs> I was just minding my own business, drinking this margarita on the beach? Do you think that he had a hand in getting the women's regulation universe yes. uh, uniforms that short? You think he was yes. on that committee? <laughs> like at one point, they could just like comfortably wear pants and like the shirt, like they could just dress like everybody else. But he's like, no, it needs to be short dresses and skirts only. How, have we seen any females in pants yet? Like, this, I know this is an old show. I don't, I don't believe I don't so. We, I don't think we have him. It's yeah, kind of an older who. show, so they kind of they're very um, gender specific. Of, of yeah. stuff, so I was curious. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. I don't think. Yeah, I, I do appreciate the skirts though. Oh, go, it's cool. I like it. I like I the see. uniform. I like everything about the show, man. I just I feel like, like they're not functional. Like the women's uniform is not functional, especially for the amount of times that they find themselves in action. It's not. It's not a functional. But they rarely find themselves in action. Technically, it's just Kurt's always. Well, oh, on his ship, maybe. I, 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 will, I will say also, like, the, the guy's shirts don't feel like they're long enough. Like, yeah. They're like, if he were to stretch, you'd be, you know, showing, showing off your, your belly button. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that navel. <laughs> the, the Navy's navel. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, so they just they continue on. Um, Paul, do you want to start us out with your thoughts on this one? I would love to. Um, Everson was great. I mean, at a 9 out of 10, it's a 9.5 or a 10, like, was it perfect? Yes, but it but it was just like it was exactly what you expect from a Star Trek episode. You know, you go in, there's you you they got a bunch of sci- a scientific mumbo jumbo. You know, there's a there's a ba- a bad guy. You know, it's it's just it's very. This only takes place what over like a two hour period, like in their time or whatever. But it was very immersive. I was in it from the beginning. Like I said, I watched it. And I didn't keep no notes. I, I started watching. I was like, I don't want notes. Like. 
after the first five minutes, when I ain't doing the notes because I knew watching it back with you guys, I would find something I want to talk about or whatever. My only mention of our whole episode is uh, the whole thing between um, McCoy and, and Spike, that moment right there, which kind of like I thought it could have been done, been a little better. And then, no, well, you guys didn't mention I saw a swag Kurt. He had a swag clothes on. Yeah. He didn't have his regular clothes on. He had this real cool swag clothes on this whole episode. And it just, and it, and it happened. Um, very immersive. I like the camera shakes, the things like that. It was just, it was just a good episode. Like, I don't, I didn't feel like I wasted my half hour, hour, however long episode is. Like, it was a good episode. Like, I have no complaints. Like, it was just really good. Like, like, I'd recommend this episode to somebody. Like, I really would. Like, it was just, it's a very good watch. Like, you watch it, and you don't waste your time, and it's that quality. So, you know, I enjoyed it. I recommend it. A good episode. Yeah, I agree with that. It uh, sucked me in immediately. I was all about this episode. I have absolutely no complaints with it. I think it's, like, what Star Trek is supposed to be. And, uh, again, I'm always okay with the the goofy ones. But, like, if you're going to do a serious episode, I feel like this is it. Like, it had stakes. that They didn't do unnecessary. Like, they, they always had this issue where, like, they want to put a hat on a hat. Like, they give you something great, and then they feel like they have to throw something on top of it, and they didn't do that this episode. So, yeah, I absolutely love this episode. Definitely uh, is one I would recommend for somebody getting into Star Trek. Um, Dan? Yeah, I I fully agree with you guys. Great episode. Uh, overall, season two's been really strong. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's, for real. There's been a lot of good episodes. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um. So, with that... Next one we're going to do is Season 2, Episode 19, A Private Little War. Kurt becomes involved in an arms race when the Kleons equip a native people with superior weaponry. So we get the Kleons again. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that could be a good one. Yeah, Kleons always do it. We haven't seen them, but what, maybe five episodes or less? A couple times, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, maybe less of episodes. But every time they're on, the episodes are always uh, pretty good. So we haven't had a bad episode with them, so... Right. Uh, I'm excited for it. Okay. Uh, well, if, unless you guys have anything else, then uh, that's going to be it for uh, me. D- don't forget to check out our Twitter, which is... At uh, WST underscore podcast. Caught me off guard, though. Uh, we appreciate you guys. You know, even those X, when I'm never calling it X. It's always Twitter to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'll say. Thank you guys for listening. Us. We appreciate it. We're sorry it's been a long time. Uh, you know, families, summer, work. But we're gonna figure this out. We're gonna get it done eventually. You know, two years, three years from now, we'll be done with this whole thing. You know, <laughs> I mean, hey, at this point, we're we're biweekly at this point. That's not bad. Yeah, uh, we appreciate you guys. Um, you know, thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate you. Uh, see you next time. Later. <laughs>